Uh, hello all. I'm Joseph from Zuma. At Zuma, we work in the wonderful world of recruitment for data analytics and engineering. We support tech businesses and professionals across Berlin as they navigate the various challenges uh, and successes of data recruitment. And this is our podcast, Data for Good, uh, dedicated to the world of data analytics. And on today's Data for Good podcast, I'm very pleased to be joined by Max Weber. Previously, People Operations and Analytics Leader at Idealo in Berlin, Max is now moving uh, to a new chapter in his career, starting this month with Mr. Specs, also of Berlin. Hey, Max, how's it going today? Hey, Joseph, um, I'm all right. Um... Yeah, looking forward to the new challenge. As you said, I'm currently in between jobs and that's not a euphemism. So I'm enjoying the time off until I go back. Yeah, back to trying to improve people's lives a bit, no? Excellent. Oh yeah, nice way of looking at things. Uh, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I, I suspect when we release this, you will have started or just starting your position. So perhaps we should. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's Brilliant. just when I go on holidays again. So I'm looking forward to see myself talk in two weeks' time when I'm yeah, on holiday. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Max, <laughs> as we ask all of our guests, could you start? by telling us about your, your own unique journey into data. How, how did you first discover your passion for the world of data? Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a long story, and I imagine everybody's saying that when I come on the podcast, but um, when I started my career in HR, and we're talking about people HR analytics today, um, I started working in payroll. And as you can imagine, payroll is the place where all the data that's um, yeah, relevant to employees in the company gets stored. So I came there and I studied sociology at the time. So we were always looking for data as sociologists, we were surveying, we were trying to find out what moved people, but we never really had access to a pool of data such as that um, back then when I was working in payroll. And making use of all that data um, was like a dream come true to a sociologist. And nobody's done it before. Um, that was back at Delivery Hero and they were still in the growth phase so not every function was built out to, to 100%. And that also concerned like the people department and just having all this data in front of me and seeing that nobody's ever really looked into it, I was suddenly very passionate about analyzing data. And of course, I basically taught myself to a very large degree and I was trying to find out like, how can I even find out the very concrete questions that we have as a business like why are people sick um, more than others why are people leaving the company more than others all of these very basic analytical questions that you would um, occur in yeah in just businesses and especially in people departments and as such um, I then ventured into people analytics I was very fortunate to have been um, supported by my um, my colleagues and my my managers back at the back in the day and then I just started only doing people analytics from there on because everybody recognized in the company that well people analytics is something that we really need as a growing business it really tells us why we're not growing 
um, as fast as we maybe would like, or it tells us what are the actual strong points in our in our company. So from then on, it only went in that direction. I moved into consulting, um, also where I was um, the topic leader for people analytics. And from then on, um, I was also able to put everything on like theoretically um, and yeah, subject matter, um, yeah, stable foundations, if you will. And yeah, now I did that as a leader and from very soon I will also do that as a head of department. Fantastic. Yeah, really strong. Sociology and data mm -hmm. and, and people data. Not often would people make that connection between the two. Or, or, or generally speaking, people and analytics. So before we get into today's topics, in a nutshell, do you want to describe to us what is what is people analytics? What is being analyzed? Yeah, um, there are so many answers to this question out there. And I think I've adopted one of them at one point in my career um, to this point. And now maybe I got intellectually lazy to boil it down to maybe to one sentence. And that is, it's having an analytical approach in your general HR work. So you might think of recruitment as the process of interviewing people, but you also know as a recruiter that there's a lot of analytics involved throughout the whole process. How can I be faster? How can I be um, maybe more relevant to candidates? How can I provide offers that are generally more accepted? And all of these are, are let's say, qualitative questions, but you can accompany them with data. So at the end, in the end of the day, you can apply this system to any question you might occur in HR, like feedback, training, very qualitative topics that might not be easy to manage at scale, but exactly doing that and providing yeah, some, let's say, factual insight along all of the qualitative insight that you can gain from um, yeah, talking to people, which still is the bread and butter in HR work, if you're, if you're being honest. Mm, mm. I like it. I thank you for relating it to recruitment. We recognize now that whilst it, we like to think our work is qualitative, there's a lot of analytics that we would do day to day uh, in being able to evaluate our work and evaluate our performance and being able to deliver to our clients. And it's not only recruitment. Recruitment's probably, in terms of HR, you might consider it to be a small part. Um, I think you mentioned exactly. development as well. So there's leadership and development, training, feedback, appraisals, reviews, retention, all these various topics. So, yeah. Well, I, all I of them need some analytical component, right? You can, you can do a lot just by thinking about things very long and hard and maybe talking to people and having your ideas for a new process, et cetera. But in the end of the day, you also have to have the analytical approach alongside it that you're also measuring against. So how do I know that my feedback process is successful? How do I know that people get good feedback on a qualitative level? Well, I have to measure some components about it. And really just bringing this perspective into anything that you do in HR 
just like you would do in the sales department, in the customer services department, or in the marketing department. That's what people analytics is. Mm. It seems like you have a very analytical, or, uh, forgive the pun, uh, or methodical uh, way of working with all these different departments that your work in people analytics would touch upon. Uh, that's what you have to have, but quite frankly, when I started, it wasn't as methodical. So that's also something you learn along the way. When you're just starting your career, maybe you're even traversing into the into the HR field and you're coming from any other analytics field and you're moving into people. Well, you will have a lot of learnings about how this whole function works, right? It might be a bit different from other business functions, but it's also very similar in the methods that you can apply it's just you have to understand the process first um, hmm. that you go through and then you can improve it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're at a senior leader level. So I want to ask you this partly for that reason and partly because you work with Delivery Hero, partly because of your consulting experience and now with Mr. Specs also. We work mainly with scale-ups uh, mm -hmm. and startups. For those companies who are ready and perhaps not already doing so, they're ready to invest in, in this area of analytics. How and where should they start? Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic question that every company is going to answer for themselves, sometimes by chance. But really, there are two ways you can approach it. So the first way... Um, that might be a bit more natural to most scale-ups. It's a bit more agile, maybe a bit more based on chance, as I said, um, and that's the use case approach. So um, as I said earlier, you would maybe introduce a new feedback process and you also want to understand like how is this feedback process now working in order to um, improve the quality or the, the cadence of feedback. Um, in my company. And as you implement a new tool, you will have a new data source, or as you implement a new process, you will have a new data structure, and you will then set certain targets for this individual process that you want to measure against. And then you have this very limited box of data that you're um, analyzing, so you're not overwhelmed with like the complete wealth of information. And then you can really start tapping into it and measuring against your targets. Let's say we've identified that the cadence of manager feedback is um, very low. That's why we, in we improved our feedback process. Now we've changed it to this and that. And we want to see that at least 80% of feedback requests are answered by managers. And that's something that we also did at Idealo in my current job. The new feedback process was introduced. And then you just have to come up with certain metrics you want to measure yourself against. And what we did in this very concrete example, well, we built a very simple integration to, to get the data from, in this case, an SAP tool where you have information sent to um, to a robot account via email, you extract the information from the email and put it into your data source. Um, you have your mini data integration layer, if you will, and then you just bring it into whatever analytics tool you would like to you would like to use. And in our case, it was um, basically a pipeline that went from SAP via Microsoft Power Platform 
to Tableau. And that's a very simple, like graphical user interface platform where really people without great technical knowledge can start and build this use case from scratch. And you would see mm. this is somewhat agile, maybe recommendable to like startups because they wouldn't be able to invest a whole lot in building like a full-blown infrastructure, which is the second approach. So you have the architect's approach, if you want to call it that. And in this architect's approach, you would um, really start to first set targets, not just for one particular process, but for you as an organization, you would have overarching goals on a qualitative level. You would try to break it down into KPIs or metrics or however you would like to call it. And then based on the metric, let's say time to offer, what do I need to know about um, um, a candidate's process in order to define the time to offer? Well, I need to know when they applied and I need to know when they received an offer. And so from these two pieces of information, I then have something that I know about my data architecture that I then want to map out. And this data architecture would then come and put itself together as I go along and met more of my targets, let's say I want to know everything about headcount. Well, then at least I would know, have to know who are the people that work in my company. And I want to have a headcount of, I don't know, 500 people. Well, I already know something about my data architecture at the point in time where I have to be able to count the humans in the company. And mm. from there, it's really somewhat a PowerPoint exercise where you're writing down all the different sources you might want to integrate. You define your data integration layer and you define your analytical layer in a very, let's say, stripped down process and you bring together all these different sources. That's, as you can see, more of a waterfall approach, whereas the other one was more agile. But mm -hmm. frankly, it's the one that's maybe more long lasting because you don't have this patchwork kind of architecture that you would start with in the in the use case approach, you would really have something that you're building from the ground up. And that's um, also, yeah, looking at the targets you might want to set yourself. And the big benefit, despite being long lasting is this particular architecture can easily be expanded because you already have your data pipeline set up and you can basically expand it. Whereas in the use case approach, whenever there's something new, you may be confronted with a new challenge that you haven't had before, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that's the, the, yeah, the big difference. The one required, the architect's approach requires a lot of planning and some, let's say, overarching knowledge about all the different data sources that you have. Whereas the use case approach, it will require a lot of ingenuity and sp being spontaneous if you will, in order to have this fast paced delivery of the, the use cases that you would like to see. I see. Well, the architecture approach or the use case approach, do you, do you see either one of them being more relevant to certain industries yeah. or certain scales of business or types of business? I, I would do it along the lines of the scales. If you're just starting, well, you also have to prove the value of people analytics, maybe to your senior leaders, to your CFO. They first have to see that this is actually something that puts value in their hands when they're proving, right? So going with the use case approach is definitely good for a smaller company that or maybe a less build out HR team as well, 
where first you have to show that you can do something until um, you start and do the full-fledged project. As soon as you did your first few use cases, and maybe you even managed to combine them in such a way that um, they don't require a lot of technical oversight and you can just um, maybe even integrate them between each other. Well, you will come to the conclusion that this isn't really on solid feet. So once you did the first step, that is the use case approach in many cases, you will automatically traverse into the architect's approach. That said, if you know what you're doing, starting from the architect's approach is not a mistake um, in any case, um, but it's more usual to start with individual use cases. And in scale-ups, you would often have them in recruitment again, right? That's also mm -hmm. something that we had at Delivery Hero when I was there recruiting was a very big point of interest, especially for the technology department. So you would be in very close um, exchange with the leaders of the technology department. And then you would build use cases also catering to their very specific needs. So you're a bit closer to the business and um, you can you can react more quickly. Whereas starting from the architecture would maybe waste two or three months of the business department's time before you could actually start um, reaping the benefits. Interesting. I relate all of this to our own business. We're a startup currently of two people and we'll be recruiting other people on an international scale. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think probably the use case is, is an idea that we'd go for, but it, that brings up so, when I think of recruiting somebody to our team on an international uh, scale, if you like, it, mm -hmm. it brings up so many different topics. And I, and I think, or I wonder what your opinion is on this. The, the current human capital market in the UK and in Berlin actually is pretty un uncertain. And, and even on a global scale is, is mm -hmm. pretty uncertain what with the global economy, being on a downturn in Europe, we, well, globally, but the most impacted area of the world from the Ukraine war is Europe, and that's having a huge impact on migration of people. With all of this uncertainty in the human capital market, has it or how has it impacted the work that you do at a leadership level of um, human analytics? Mm -hmm. Well, it changed it a lot, but not in the way that now, now it's more or less necessary, but in the way that it's necessary. So I was talking about like growing a technology department at Delivery Hero. These sort of circumstances are changing now, right? Because there's maybe less demand for people and companies, frankly, my... Uh, experience are heavily based on the Berlin startup and scale-up market, but companies are switching to being more efficient rather than just growing at any cost. And when you're growing at any cost, well, then you will just simply look at different metrics and you will also have a different, um, let's say, outlook on the human capital market or the recruitment market. So back then you would only focus on having as many candidates as possible. 
now where maybe you would also like to limit the number of people in the HR department as being efficient also means having not too much overhead, you will suddenly change your perspective on how can I get the exactly right number of relevant candidates that I need in order to fill a position. So I will have a different question that I'm asking and the maybe the complexity of the question is changing a bit. So whereas how can I grow, grow, grow is something where you could even work with just descriptive analytics and just say we have um, 50 recruiters and 500 candidates. And if I have 100 recruiters, I will have 1000 candidates. Now you're changing to where do these, um, yeah, these graphs intersect and where's the optimal point where I don't need any more recruiters in order to exactly satisfy the number of people that I need. And suddenly you're getting into like a predictive slash prescriptive modeling kind of exercise mm. and having um, yeah, more oversight on these sorts of questions, as well as being maybe more relevant in the endeavors of the company to be financially prudent. So how can I optimize my personnel cost? Maybe what are high performers that must be kept at any cost? And maybe what are the people that I have in my company that maybe would be better off if they already worked somewhere else? It might sound a bit cynical, but that's that's how it works when you're trying to cut costs, right? And answering these questions is more complex than just trying to find out how can I grow and grow, which was basically the predicament of the last 10, 15 years, if you will. So uh, really the complexity of the questions and the financial appeal of deep analytics is changing a lot. Um, your ability to forecast precisely um, is now more relevant than it used to be because back in the day, it was only a trajectory up. Now you're trying to forecast in such a way that you're already considering um, terminations that aren't yet on the horizon. And there's just a whole lot more pieces of information that are going into a financial forecast when you're trying to shrink and cut cost as opposed to just growing without cost being a factor. Mm, wow. So yeah, changing times requires a, a different approach to analytics. And, and as you talk, it makes me think of, we went through the period of the great resignation and now we're understanding from people analytics, I assume, the, the quiet resignation. Are you familiar with this construct? Yeah, quiet quitting, no? Yeah. Quiet um, quitting, where people will do yeah. just and about enough work to keep their yeah. job. Yeah. Um, and this is really the point where you're maybe going from people analytics as a means to improve the company and the service you're delivering to employees, the service that you're delivering to the business as a people department, as in like the productivity and the amount of quality of um, the employees that you have to frankly going after individuals. And that's maybe something that is crossing the line into something that's maybe more relevant to um, the NSA than it would be to a people department, right? And this is also the moment where you would actually have to start measuring people's performance on a very, very granular level, not in a way of did people achieve their projects, but in a way of 
Are they logging in more than eight hours in a day? Um, how many emails are they sending? Are they taking the calls they should take? And this, it's also maybe a value and political question you have to ask yourself whether you would actually go after people who are working exactly what's in their contract. And that's something that the company that you're in has to answer for themselves. If it's an expectation that people always go above and beyond, well, then you will easily find out if people aren't going above and beyond. But if there's like a very diverse or maybe large company that you're working with, where you it might be depending on a department, it might be depending on demographics, um, whether mm. people are still going above and beyond as maybe they're used to, well, then you will get into the very nitpicky and detail-oriented kind of um, analysis that's not quantitative anymore. You're really going after an individual, which is something where I draw the line for people analytics. Um, but frankly, I said it earlier, so having a very clear perspective on who the top performers and low performers in a company are based on their um, impact on business goals, based on the delivered projects, based on performance, if you want to use that term. Well, that's something where people analytics can be very relevant or is extremely relevant. Right. Speaking of drawing the line, mm -hmm. you, you have a, a really strong and broad overview, and I know this from previous conversations, of of HR generally, mm -hmm. where do people analytics professionals draw the line in terms of what what data is analysed? It, it how, how does it typically work in a large organisation? Do do the pe people analytics leaders advise teams as to what to analyse, or is it typically managers who say, "Hey, you know, I'm having an, an issue with." retention or attendance or productivity mm -hmm. who makes those decisions oftentimes the decision is made for you because in order to measure something first it has to be written down somewhere in an ideal case it's written down in like some tool or technical infrastructure that you can then get the data from so we're not working on a green field most of the time before you can start measuring the questions that you outlined well first you have to put the data somewhere right so mm -hmm. uh, saying that it's only my decision or my team's decision whether we measure something or not that's not 100 accurate then also this is depending on the company to a large degree so if you have a works council in your company which is very um, common in Germany, well, then you will have certain limitations as to what you can track or measure just put forward by the Works Council. Um, if you um, maybe have a company where you have very, you have strong leaders with very clear value sets and very clear um, yeah, rhetoric on such questions such as performance um, or um, compensation whatnot well then that also sets certain limits and then for me or for anyone as a people analytics leader it's trying to bridge these gaps between satisfying a certain question and maybe rephrasing it right um, mm. if you as a manager come to me and you say well i have a problem with performance in my team can you please measure whether they're 
checking in the front door of the office building um, before 8 a.m. because that's a prime indicator of performance. Well, then I would acknowledge that you have a performance issue and I would try to find a way to measure it. But maybe I wouldn't go into like the real personal day-to-day -day behavior. And mm. I think that's a very, very dependent on the use case that you're looking at. Um, and I would personally, that's my, um, yeah, my approach also as a sociologist, going back to the start, I wouldn't never go after the individual. So I would try to figure out whether this is something that's influenced by an organization or like the demographic that somebody's a part of. I would not go and try to find individual information about a single person just in order to um, yeah, throw them in front of the bus, right? Exactly. And that's the role that you have to take. Yes, seemingly so. For better or worse, mm -hmm. what do you think the direction of people analytics is? With um, yeah. other areas of uh, analytics have challenges such as bias, mm -hmm. data quality, or uh, when I think people analytics, different departments using data and and how that data is used mm -hmm. for better or worse what is the direction of yeah of people analytics um, so maybe if you think about the very typical hr team from the 90s probably they were a bit different in like their demographics the um, people that worked there or maybe the interests that people had um in hr teams in the 90s and this is slowly changing but it's always lagging behind maybe some other departments you would see in a typical company such as product or technology right so when you're looking into the product space you will have very advanced analytics with regards to user behavior inside an app whereas in people analytics there are still companies who are struggling with figuring out how many people they have at any given point in time so people analytics is lagging behind other analytics departments to a large degree and there's a lot of groundwork still being done and now if i want to forecast it well we are moving in the same direction as other analytics departments are so the trends will be the same um, even though if lagging behind so there will be more talk of like first of all predictive analytics there is already a lot of big talk about it but maybe it's a bit insular and it's limited to consultancies who come into companies and try to implement people analytics or companies with very large funds that can afford to just maintain a people analytics team that also has data scientists in it. And then you would also move into prescriptive analytics. When do I have to give somebody a raise in order to retain them in additional six months? Um, these sorts of um, questions. And mm. this is, on the one hand, a very large benefit to the HR teams that are eventually going to work with these sorts of analyses. It is going to provide them with information or at least best guesses that they can then challenge and second guess and then take an informed decision. What it shouldn't be, and that's something that I've um, seen, especially in consulting way too many times, is then taking this information and immediately implementing it. Maybe even automating the process of trying to make a prediction and then automatically starting the salary increase process for a given um person because the machine said so 
And this is a very worrying trend. It might work immensely great in, let's say, fraud detection or in risk analysis in the finance department, or it might work really well in the product department or the marketing department where you're sending personalized emails at a given point of the customer journey just in order to spike their consumption. But this is not going to work in something as complex as an organization where you have so many different conflicting variables, maybe in your forecasting of turnover, that you will have a very, very hard time making a model even that has high predictive value. So you will invest a lot of time and effort into coming up with these models in order to um, predict or even prescribe certain actions of the future. So all of this is always to be taken with a grain of salt where you are basically handing over agency to the data that you're analyzing, which is happening in many fields of analytics, right? It's probably not something that you would like to do in your organization without any filter in between, since this is going to end up giving away agency over people back to um, a machine. And also most companies have more customers than they have employees, right? So you will have just an imbalance of the amount of data that you need in order to make a good model. So this is something that it doesn't worry me that analytics and people analytics is going more and more in this direction, but it's something that requires a lot of um, human oversight and a lot of prudence before you venture into these directions. Human oversight and prudence, interesting, okay. Yeah, I, I could see how most companies would believe with a huge customer base and the way they approach that customer base, the, the same kind of analytics might tools might be applied to their own workforce, yeah. but in and fact, it's very risky. Outside of the numbers, it's also just the, the potential impact that your analytics use case might have, right? So if I send a CRM mail to some person to order food online, that's likely not life-changing unless the restaurant messes something up. Whereas if I maybe interpret my employee data in such a way that I predict, well, person ABC really needs to get fired, well, this is life-changing. So the stakes are so much different between maybe customer interaction or fraud detection, as opposed to managing an organization. Some people might be in a company for 10 years, have a hard time privately, and now they're not performing for a year on the bounce. And then you let them go and maybe push them into a certain situation in their life that they wouldn't have been in if you hadn't applied analytics. So this is something to be very, very careful about. And yeah, just be aware of the stake that you're dealing with when you are working with essentially the livelihood of a person or a group of people. Choice, wise words, I, 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 and certainly uh, concerning if, if uh, businesses don't uh, enact upon this. We're drawing to a close, Max. And yeah, I should be mindful of, of your time as well as my own. I would like to know, as a senior data leadership professional, what advice could you give to the data community? Well, 
let me target this at people who want to be in people analytics specifically, because that's what I can talk about. Get started. I think with the abilities and skills and learnings you get provided in high school, you can already do a whole lot in like people analytics. You just have to get started and you will learn things along the way. And there's no better step to take than the first one. And I was also talking about these approaches. Well, being an architect requires some detailed knowledge about um, how an organization works or how your HR team and technology works. But starting from an individual use case, such as how many people are going to leave the company within the next six months, this is something you can do in a very isolated system where you can really test out your own skills and you can build them. So take a first step and just try to iterate because frankly, that's how I did. And I think it worked out fine. <laughs> I, I, I think so as well. I, I could see that from the, the evolution of your career yeah. and, and no doubt your studies in sociology has had, a well, practically it had a huge impact from the beginning, but throughout, I imagine as well. And sadly, that's all we've got time for today. I know there are a couple other topics uh, as a small part of the HR community that I wanted to go into, uh, and I hope we could uh, do so next time. And I also uh, understand that time series was something that uh, is of interest to you. So I hope we can have this discussion again and uh, get, get to that topic. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Great. Max, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you too. Great. And I encourage anyone who has questions, comments, or feedback, drop them in the comments section. And Max or myself, or both, will get back to you about these promptly. And uh, yeah, have a great day, everyone. You too. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thanks.